Now, James Melville uh, came to my notice on social media. Uh, he does occasionally get a gig on, on GB News, but I mainly follow him on social media, and I'm endlessly impressed, as an increasing number of people are. I'm not sure what his politics are. I am sure they're not the same as mine. But he is, in a way, the living embodiment of what Jimmy Dore said that people on the left and the right have to wake up to the fact that actually what matters is what's right and what's wrong. And actually what matters is that we have a common enemy which is trying to suppress our ability to come to the conclusion of what is right or what's wrong. It is a common enemy that is the mass media, that is the legacy media and the big tech companies that control the new media. At least that's how I see it. Let's hear what James thinks. James Melville, welcome back uh, to the mother of all talk shows. I don't know if you heard Jimmy Dore earlier, but he, he, would, he very powerfully, for me anyway, made the point that, you know, it doesn't much matter whether you're left or right as much as it matters whether you're right or wrong, as much as it matters whether you're going to be allowed to argue your case so that other people can decide what's right and what's wrong. That's surely the the zeitgeist of this 2023, isn't it? I completely agree. I've been talking about this for a very long time, especially over the last three or four years where the world's changed in a lot of ways, as we know, and a lot more people actually are more politically engaged through the COVID era. But I feel, and I think you might as well, I haven't left the left. Through my entire, you know, I studied politics, I've worked in politics, I've campaigned in politics, I've been left to centre. But what's happened to the old left to centre is no longer there. Well, it's parts of it are, but it's been hijacked by a new sort of corporate wokeism left of centre. A sort of fraudulent left to centre. I haven't left the left, but aspects of the left have left me. And one of those aspects with the new sort of bastardised left is a suppression and cancel culture. So the very things that I was talking about on the other side of COVID back 2019 before, about austerity, mental health issues, problems with education, waiting lists, business bankruptcies, they were all on this side of COVID, the collateral damages of the responses of COVID. And where were some of the left on that? Well, they turned a blind eye. And I think what we've got is a bigger picture issue whereby some of the left, if I'm really honest, have been hoodwinked by a corporate virtue contract, whereby unless you're on their side, then somewhere you're going to be smeared as a bigot or a conspiracy theorist of far right. It's actually far from it, as far as I'm concerned. A lot of my political views haven't changed at all. They've been reinforced by what's happened in the last few years. But I think we are facing a virtue contract where we have bad governments, corporatist governments, technocrats are unelected, and also bad actor you know, computer salesmen, billionaires and a few others who are wrapping around a lot of the agendas, not because they're our friend, not because they're trying to take care of us or make a better planet, because we're seeing the biggest asset grab in the history of the planet right now. And the figures borne that out. Over the last three years, there's been more wealth transfer from the 99% to the 1% than in the history of the planet. So therefore, we have to ask the questions why. And it comes back to that point that millions of people are getting hoodwinked by this enormous virtue contract under the auspice 
of safety and security and convenience as well. Yeah, and the power, um, I mean, the, the closure, Germany closed its last three uh, nuclear plants this weekend. Uh, and that has been accompanied by uh, a 45% increase in the electricity bills of the Germans. Just like that. This whole uh, zero uh, campaign that at COP23 in Glasgow they were trying to outbid each other is actually beggaring the planet, it's beggaring the people whose governments were fighting each other as to who could sign up for the more extreme prescriptions, no? Exactly. And it's crass logic solutions. It's, it's basically, we've got a problem, they come up with a solution, and they create five more problems. Net Zero is a perfect example of this. You know, I'm a lifelong environmentalist. But whatever happened talking about environment in the round? What are we talking about pollution in the round? Instead, we've got crass logic solutions that aren't actually saving the planet. There's a number of these, for instance. A perfect example, just to take one, would be electric cars. We're a component of electric cars. Is made from cobalt extract that's put into the lithium-ion battery. Now, guess where that comes from, largely? 70% of the cobalt supply is from Congo, where you've got over 40,000 child slaves to produce that, and they're plundering the landscapes. How is that saving the planet? Instead, it's destroying the landscape under the auspice of do-good and virtue, but meanwhile, there's over 40,000 child slaves plundering this through the mines of Congo. There's other aspects, for instance, of wind turbines as well, where balsa wood from the Amazon is used as a component for the blades. How is that saving the planet? And so what's happening with a lot of this issue by issue, COVID response, net zero being another, they're providing solutions that are taking away a lot of freedoms for people and providing solutions that aren't actually doing the thing that they say that's supposed to be doing, and that's solving the problem. In fact, they're creating a multitude of other problems. I think a lot of it is a gigantic corporate contract. The individuals who are pushing this from government technocrats and corporates are exploiting the people by the auspice of control to plunder and also increase their own wealth. But they're not actually solving the problems that they claim to solve. No, exactly. And uh, the, the corporate involvement in culture war issues... Uh, First of all, I don't see the commercial logic of it. I don't know why Bud Light decided to uh, engage a trans person uh, to be their face. It has spectacularly backfired and increased enmity against trans people. Uh, the uh, I think Revlon, uh, if I've not got the brand wrong, but certainly a cosmetics company, have done the same. What is it about this wokeness uh, that the corporates are so excited about? I've spoken myself before as the father of five mixed-race children. I love to see uh, mixed-race and mixed couples on the media. But it turns out, as my wife pointed out to me, it seems like 99.9% of the couples in Britain are mixed because that's what the advertising industry has decided to show you. Uh, so I don't understand the commercial logic in a country of 88% white people, why white people can't get on TV ads or why they can't be married to each other uh, on TV ads. I don't understand why uh, culture wars are being 
ignited by our corporate interests. You're a younger man. Tell me, why? Only, only just younger, George. Give or take a decade. <laughs> but uh, I think it's, it's about divide and rule. We're focusing, you know, governments, corporates in a lot of ways, they're focusing on the wrong areas and they're whipping up cultural wars. I agree with that. So everyone's squabbling about a multitude of issues. Yet we should actually, the one thing that unifies most of us is bad governments. Look at the cost of living crisis. That affects everyone apart from the 1% again, who are plundering everything, whether it's energy, whether it's food, whether it's to do with data, whether it's to do with financial services. Now, the one thing that connects that the, under the auspice again of control is digitalization of all of these things. You know, digital ID seems to be connecting all of these aspects. And Tony Blair was wanging on again the other day about the need for digital ID. You know, he's been doing that for 20 years. Tony Blair, by the way, going slightly off subject here. He should have no place on any public forum anywhere in the world telling us plebs how to live. You know, based on what happened in Iraq, he should be nowhere near the debate. And there's arguments that Bill Gates shouldn't be near the debate as well. But I think, going back to what you were saying, we're taking our eyes off the important issues. One of those important issues is the increased levels of poverty in many places around the Western world. Now, I spent five weeks in Dundee, as you know well, Dundee, in Nine Walls Hospital. My father was in there. But I had time within that to walk around Dundee, and I spoke to a lot of the people in areas like Dens and Whitfield and so on. Dundee is a perfect example of a, a once proud enterprise-driven city through, industri- through the industrial era, through, but post-deindustrialization, it's been left to rot. It's been hollowed out. And the citizens, the good citizens of Dundee, they feel disenfranchised. No one's speaking to them. Part of that is Westminster problem, part of that is Scottish government problem as well. But they're forgotten about. They're the real problems should be focusing on, rather than the culture wars that are whipped up by many aspects of our media and our governments and our corporates to deflect from where the serious issues are. Now, this comes back to the original point that I said, saying, I haven't left the left, the left has left me. Where the left on issues like what's happening in Dundee, and not just Dundee, in many parts of, say, America, parts of France, parts of Germany, parts of the northeast, northwest of England. These areas have been hauled out for decades, and they're the real issues that need to be addressed. Now, I mean, I'm, I'm worried about this digital currency, James. I, I took quite a long time to switch on to it, maybe because I didn't realize quite how vulnerable I would be. Uh, but if they effectively abolish money, uh, they're able to literally turn you off to make you a non-person, as uh, Jimmy Dore was just uh, talking about. They could make you financially completely non-viable uh, just by the flick of a switch, by a decision, just like uh, the decisions that are made on social media by the big tech moguls. The state could instruct the uh, banks uh, to whom they are beholden, uh, to just close James Melville down, cut off his account, uh, don't allow him to use his card, cancel his card, and money ain't allowed anymore. That's going to make us all prisoners. Or we're going to have to self-censor ourselves so that that doesn't happen uh, to us. It's a very worrying thing, no? I think that's a possibility. I think, George, if they start censoring us based on what we've been saying in our commentaries, media and social media, we'll be first on the list. 
<laughs> so we might, yeah. we might have to store some some old fashioned cash. But I think there is something in this. I mean, if you look, for instance, for central bank digital currencies, which are coming down the tracks, a lot of it under the radar. You ask the average punter what's going on with central bank digital currencies, people don't know because the government and the media aren't really disclosing it enough. But there's pilot schemes going on around the world, executive orders in the States. Rishi Sunak, our unelected self-entitled prime minister, is a big fan of this. And they're now advertising for positions with the Bank of England for central bank digital currencies in terms of design, implementation and governance of this. Now, what this means is the state effectively as the ultimate control over financial transactions. What this could mean, the risk factor, is we end up on a pathway, some sort of Trojan horse towards social credit systems. Now, again, it's another aspect of digital ID that's locking us in. You know, we've gone through the story a little bit before, though, George, because if you remember back in the pandemic, vaccine passports, one of the most liberal policies ever produced, was a form of a social credit system. It was saying if you don't take this jab, then you're going to lose some of your freedoms, your social freedoms, and in some places, even your employment freedoms. If you look at the care workers, over 40,000 left the industry because they didn't take the job. But that was linked, obviously, to the vaccine passport. Financial, through central bank digital currencies, is a much bigger scale of this. And it does lead to the risk that if we say something that the government don't like, or possibly we drive too much, or you know we've got our energy up too high, whatever it might be, they could link that in as a form of a controlled social credit system. But it's also bigger than that. The state should not ultimately have control over financial transactions because that's the ultimate aspect of freedom. So I'm deeply concerned about that. And I think the way they're approaching it is it's like a sort of under-the-radar mission creep towards yeah. us. But there needs to be an open We're debate sleepwalking. about it. We're sleepwalking we are, yeah. into it, really. Definitely. And I think there needs to be... No. A public debate whereby both sides of the argument are openly talking about, on one side, the benefits, if there is any for this. They'll sell it as convenience and financial safety. They always do. But on the other side, the experts warning about the perils of this. It's too important to just slip through in complicated, under-the-radar legislation that isn't reported about in the media. This is effectively our financial transactions freedoms on the line combined with the possibility of a gateway to a social credit system that should have no place in a liberal and free society. Finally, James, uh, the leaders of the Western world, Joe Biden and Rishi Sunak, uh, were together uh, in Northern Ireland in the last couple of days. Did they fill you with a great deal of confidence that... Uh, they know what they're doing and they should be allowed to get on with it? Oh, not at all. They're corporate politicians. I mean, I, I once described Joe Biden as an ineffectual phantom. I mean, that's, that's effectively what he is. And there seems to be legacy with American presidents who come across and, to put it mildly, patronize the good people of Northern Ireland about how to do politics. You know, it goes back to, you know, to Kennedy, you know, Reagan was doing this. Clinton was doing this. Now, you know, O'Biden is doing this, drinking his pint of Guinness and the rest of it and getting his facts wrong as always. And I find it, I find it deeply patronising. And, and Sunak's the same thing. He's Emperor's New Clothes Prime Minister. What has he actually achieved since he's been in the job? He said it was all going to be about transparency and accountancy and all of this stuff that's management speak. But he hasn't actually achieved anything. 
And we're on a race to the bottom with our politicians. I mean, maybe I'm sounding old here, but I remember back in the sort of 80s and 90s, whether you agreed with the left or the right, um, you know, there was heavyweights. They understood the issues. And most of them were trying to do it. And the, the, the reason why we pay their taxes or pay their wages, pay our taxes, is because they're supposed to be serving us. They're not. They're serving themselves and their corporatist friends. They're feathering their own nests. I mean, Sunak, is he's like a machine politician. Joe Biden, I mean, if that's the best that America can provide, then God help America. But that's where we are. And it's God not help just us. In America. If, yeah, if Rishi is the best that we can produce, God help us. James Melville, as always, thanks for joining us on the mother of all talk shows. Do follow James on social media. He's always worth it.